This week on Three Questions by Corey Kareem. And I'll be I'll be completely honest. I don't think I would have been able to grow my career the place I have if I wasn't able to code switch, right? Like, mm-hmm. And that is like a skill that I think I have learned to hone that I always joke and I say, I know how to make white people feel comfortable. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem, uh, the show where we focus on people who've done some amazing things, um, who've experienced some amazing things and have some really interesting stories to share. But instead of focusing on their wins and successes, we're going to talk about their failures, but more importantly, the lessons that they learned from their failures. So, uh, without further ado, my first guest is actually a good friend of mine. And go way back. I won't get into the context now, but uh, my good friend Irene Mukasa. Uh, she leads the communications and content experiences team for Autodesk. That's one thing. She also serves as the DEI communications advisor for Seya, a digital management firm. She also sits on the board for the Children's Aid Society of Toronto and Venture Kids Canada. So you probably know Takara Small, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. And Irene also runs her own branding and comms and consultancy firm for startups. That's quite the resume, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, is there anything you want to add to that to let the people know? Did I miss anything? Some nuances there you want to fill in? I think I think that's it. I mean, it's it's funny. I always I always find it really hard when people are kind of spewing off what you do and your your accomplishments because it's like one of those moments where I either feel like, damn, I've done a lot, or I feel like, damn, I still need to hustle more. So I never right. really know. <laughs> right. And I guess it is kind of it's kind of reminds me of like when actors see themselves on the big screen. Some of them are like, ooh. And then some of them are like, oh damn, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it really just depends. But awesome. So, Irene, uh, I'm so glad that you are able to bless us with your presence today. And of course, today we're talking about uh, we're talking about as a black woman being in a leader leadership position in corporate Canada, corporate America. It's all really more or less kind of the same. And so I just love for you to kind of share some of the stories, the things you've gone through climbing your way to the top in a leadership uh, position as a black woman in Canada. So as you know, uh, with three questions by Corey Kareem, we're going to ask you three questions, which in actual actuality, it's more like five, to be honest <laughs> with you. But um, the first question I want to throw your way, I'm going to throw you a lob because I know you used to hoop. So I know you get the sports <laughs> references too. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, so forward up in here. <laughs> uh, there you go. Um, so as a black woman in a leadership role today, what was your biggest or most memorable failure? Um, and what did you do to kind of work through it? And what did you learn from it? Yeah. Um, you know, I think when I look back on failure, I think of two things. So one, I used to be really um, afraid of failure. And I think part of that was mm. just, 
you know, I, uh, I immigrated here with my parents from, from East Africa. I saw my parents basically rebuild their entire lives in Canada and hustle really hard. And so the idea of failing did not feel like something that was attainable to me. I didn't feel I had the privilege or the luxury to fail because I know the sacrifices that my parents had made. So I really hated failure. I was like not out here trying to fail, right? It's like I needed to win because that's what I needed to do. So for a long time, that was my mentality. And it really served me wrong because when I hit those points when I did fail, I took it hard. Even if it was a little L, like even if it wasn't even a big thing, I would stew on it. I'd overanalyze it. I'd think about it because I just wasn't sure. Like I wasn't sure how to fail. And so throughout my career, I've learned not only how to fail, but how good failure is. Because with failure, you actually learn the things to overcome the problems that you had and hopefully not have that failure again. So I think learning to fail was one one of my biggest things. But the other thing that um, I think I failed at is falling into this fallacy that if you work hard in corporate America, you Mm -hmm. will get what you're owed. And once again, this is probably also a cultural thing, right? You know, like a lot of, you know, uh, first generation uh, kid, uh, people who, who, who have immigrated some of their families or saw their parents kind of rebuild their lives up, saw a generation that worked hard. And as a result of working hard, did manage to get successes or did manage to turn their life around. Right. So I kind of had that mentality, right? I'd been bred with that mentality that if I just work really hard in, in, in my corporate kind of career, I'm going to get to where I need to be. Then I get into the corporate career and I'm like, hold on, there's all these <laughs> other, all these other factors, right? There's nepotism, yeah. there's networking, there's all oh, yeah. conversations. And so it's not just about working hard. And so I think I failed a lot in the beginning of my career because I truly just thought that if I worked hard, things would be owed to me or get to where I need to be. And if I had clued in earlier in my career, I think around the fact that it's not just about working hard and that that in itself and thinking that it's just about working hard is a failure, I really think I could have pivoted and moved my career in a lot of more impactful ways than than I was able to kind of um, early on. Right. I think you hit on so many things here because I find out it's like it's what you don't know sometimes that will really get to you. And And it's funny. I'm going to kind of take the conversation a little bit to the right. So, you know, um, similar to yourself, but I know for different reasons and circumstances, I grew up in a single parent household. Um, So I grew up without my father and I'm not trying to make an excuse here, but once I got older, um, so growing up, it never seemed abnormal to me because most of my friends had more or less the same situation. So it was kind of normalized. It wasn't until I got into like my late twenties, early thirties when, you know, I was in corporate and, I'd be around a lot of the guys my age, maybe a little bit older, and they would know how to do things that I didn't know how to do. And I'd be like, oh, how did you learn how to do that? It's like, oh, you know, growing up on the weekend, my dad would take me here or, you know, going up. I was like, damn. And that only then at that point in my life, did I really like, yo, did I, did I miss out on some free game here? Like, and, <laughs> and now I just have some catching up to do. So I, I totally hear you when you say, you know, we've been taught like, you know, just work hard, but we learned that there's there's much more to this game than than navigating the system here. So you hit it right on the money. Yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. So let's let's dig a little deeper there. Like, sure. tell me about a, like a personal fuck up or failure um, or even I know you mentioned this one time when we had a discussion on uh, Clubhouse. You talked about some of those mental traps that black men and black women can kind of fall into in the corporate uh, landscape. Yeah. 
Um, we'll talk about mental tra traps first. So I think like some of the, the biggest mental traps, and I certainly like still struggle with this, is that like imposter syndrome, right? Like still feeling that it's like, damn, can I do this? Am I supposed to be here? Am I the right person for this? Um, and I still have that up, up until this day. Even when I got the job at, 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 with Autodesk, I was still like, what? Like, can I do this? Am I the right person for this? Even though like I had so many people, like that interview was like a 12 kind of person interview, five weeks. I had every single person on that board be like, you were absolutely absolutely made it you knocked it out of the park but I still had moments where I was like I'm not sure if I'm the right person for mm -hmm. this role right and so I, I think imposter syndrome happens to to men women I don't even think it's necessarily just like in the black community I think a lot of people experience this at some point in, in their career because it's hard to go through life um being 100% sure that you're going to slay everything right like it's, just, it's, just, yeah. it's hard to do that um I think the other kind of trap that I see particularly people earlier on in their career is bringing emotion, be, being led too much by emotion. Mm. So I think, you know, when I, especially for me in my career, and I see this in some of the things in the career, it's really easy to get caught up in the emotion of how you feel about something. So if somebody does something to you or something happens at work or you don't get that thing, you get really emotional about it. And maybe your reaction to it is emotional. What I have since learned is that in the corporate world, nobody really cares about your emotions, right? Like to be really freaking honest. Nobody cares about your options. People care about your results. People mm -hmm. care about your solutions. People care about, you know, what you're going to do. So I, I think one of the traps that I encourage people to get out of is if something happens, don't just look at it from the emotional perspective. You're allowed to have your emotions because like, let's be honest, like you need space for your emotions and you need to be able to process them. But mm -hmm. when you're thinking about like how to navigate that in a, in a corporate culture, think about what's the rational solution. Think about what's the outcome. Think about how you're going to pivot that because that's the thing that can help you navigate your career. And particularly as a woman of color I found like the emotional piece can sometimes mm. backfire because 100%. you know I've had people be like you know I think you're being too emotional about this and I'm literally talking like <laughs> this to somebody right but it's like yeah. they have the, they have the angry black girl narrative yep. and so it's really easy to get caught up into that narrative and have it be part of your your brand when you don't want it to because you're thinking a lot about the emotions rather than thinking about the rational side of things 100 percent. that that is that is so key because you you run into the angry black woman thing i've run into the you're making people feel uncomfortable thing i'm like i'm not even at 100 yet i'm like at 55 <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so so it's just like i've always and to, and to be honest with you because you've been very transparent with me is I still struggle with how to be my true authentic self because I'm concerned that my true authentic self may be too aggressive because I've gotten a kind of proverbial, you know, hand slap on the wrist or, you know, yeah. you made this person feel this type of way. And I'm just like, I'm just being me and it's just whatever. So, yes, well, I get you. It's, it's funny that you talk about that because it's like, you know, especially in the corporate world, everyone talks about bring your authentic self, bring your authentic self. Modest opinion, I don't think most corporate cultures are actually equipped to let people be their authentic self because like there are just structures in place. There are kind of rules and norms that are in mm -hmm. place that pretty much prevent that. But what I do tell people is, you know, it's it's kind of like seasoning, right? Like bring your authentic self and sprinkle the parts that work sometimes and sprinkle somewhere else where it works. Like sometimes you can't necessarily bring your full authentic self 100% right away, but mm -hmm. you can start to bring that into a culture to get to a point where people start to know like, oh yeah, that's you. And so you have to read the room. You have to know, like, like I'll walk right. into a room and I can tell what room I can walk in and be like, cool, I can be 100% myself. And I know the rooms that I have to walk in to be like, okay, I gotta like, you know, probably only be 20% myself, get, get, get the room to kind of warm up to me and 
and then I can be my full self. And so I, I don't think it's an all or nothing. I do think that you have to figure out the spaces where you actually can be yourself and that you're right. equipped to be yourself and right. then figure out the, the methodology of actually doing that because right. it, it does sometimes take a little bit of a technique to figure out how to do it, but hundred percent encourage it. And I think companies need to also figure out how to make right. space for people to be their authentic self. Well, here's a thought. I just thought of this and I saw something on YouTube because I, I, I watched more content on YouTube than actual television. Yeah. And I seen something about code switching and they, they yeah. were asking the, a bunch of black people, do you code switch when you get in a corporate environment? And then one person was like, no, I'm always me. And people <laughs> was like, well, how do you, you kind of have to code switch to navigate. And I don't necessarily think it's a black or white thing. I think you do it when you're around your parents or you're around your in-laws, you know, there's certain things you would say that you wouldn't say. So what are your kind of thoughts on that whole code switching thing? Yeah, I agree. I think like naturally we code switch depending on whatever kind of group you're with. Yeah. Um, and I'll be, I'll be completely honest. I don't think I would have been able to grow my career the place I have if I wasn't able to code switch, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, and that is like a skill that I think I have learned to hone that I was joking. I say, I know how to make white people feel comfortable. I know, right? Like I've learned how to do that. I know how to walk into a room and I can know how to make, you know, a 60 year old man who's a senior leader feel comfortable to chat with me. That is something I've had to learn over the course of my career. I didn't know how to do that day one. I didn't know how to do that. Right. Right. And so, but code switching is unfortunately part of that. And, and that's, you know, it's, 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 it's the idea of kind of learning to play within the lines of the game, but I always code switch to the point until I could be myself. Like I will code switch to get into the door. Then once I'm in the door, I'm going to give you my real self. Cause I'm already there. You can't kick me out now, right. but you know, you, you pick the moments and times when, when to do it. And unfortunately in corporate culture, I do think people of culture code switch heavily in order to have to be able to kind of get through the doors they need to get to. I guess you. you did the Oprah Winfrey effect and you know what that is. So Oprah Winfrey you obviously you know her story yeah. started off as a journalist you know mm-hmm. grinded her way up got her own show yep. grinded the hell out of that and then to the point where she owned her own network and now she calls the shot so i totally get the strategy 100 <laughs> percent. all right so moving on to question number two um sure. let's talk about diversity and inclusion such a yeah. buzzword in our yeah <laughs> i mean in all honesty in your position and even just even if you weren't in the position Right. Just as a black woman, how do you think it's going? What still needs to happen? Like, and really, how effective do you think like these VP of diversity and inclusion positions are or whatever the title may be? Yeah. So, I mean, the last five years of my career have been in tech and even, um, you know, the the consultancy consultancy that I started is really focused on tech. Right. So I know that area really, really well. And I would say in the tech sector, um, it's 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 starting to become a thing that is more than words. So for the past kind of three, four years, I would say there was a lot of talk around diversity. You you talk about the buzz and then there's like diversity and inclusion, inclusion and belonging and like all the little buzzwords that came around. But I don't think companies really understood how to operationalize it outside of it just being Mm. a policy or like three to four training sessions, right? So I think that's heavily where tech was the past few years. It was really focused on like, creating a policy, creating some learning and development classes for employees, and then like looking at HR and figuring out like, how can we post in places so we can get diverse candidates? So I do think now we're like at that second point where it's like, that is not good enough anymore. Now it's companies need to figure out how do you make this part of your DNA? How do you make this part of your culture? How do you actually make a a company where diversity inclusion isn't a buzzword, it's just part of how you operate. And I do think that's gonna take much longer for companies to figure out and to understand how to do that in a way that's truly authentic. 
in the past year, I think, you know, especially with kind of the whole George Floyd and the Black right. Lives Matter last year, it really pushed this idea of like VP roles of, of in diversity and inclusion up to the top. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a really great conversation with a friend of mine who is a, a really well-known DEI uh, con- consultant. She kind of works with companies around that. And we were talking about this kind of uh, this kind of race to like for companies to hire this role, to hire these senior roles, right? Mm-hmm. And so people are were doing it, but it's like, I don't, I don't know how many companies are understanding that in order to do this work, you actually have to commit to it. And that means more than just a person. That means actually putting budget behind it. Because I do think there's a lot of people that have been put into these senior leadership roles, but they don't actually have the backing of their senior team. They don't have budgets to actually execute things. So what's going to happen is in a year or two, their CEO or their senior team or their board is going to look and say, hey, we hired this VP of diversity and they haven't really done anything. And then companies are going to think that that role isn't important. But it is important. I just think that there's not enough companies who are staffing it accordingly. And this is why I give companies like LinkedIn a shout out too, because they just announced, uh, I think last week, that they're going to start paying their employee resource group leads 10K a year to lead that work, which Mm -hmm. is a huge step because a lot of people do this work in companies off the side of their desks. I've I've been subjected to where it's like you end up leading these diversity and inclusion initiatives but nobody's right. paying for your time, right? And these right. things do need time and do need effort. So I don't know. I think I think there's a lot more that needs to be done. Um, and I think there needs a lot more commitment in in dollars, in backing, in right. you know, in, in board backing for these things to be actually like uh, successful. Right. And so on a personal level, what are some of the things that you're personally doing to kind of move the needle when it comes to diversity in the tech space? Mm-hmm. So the first thing is I am teaching other people of color to put your boundaries up when it comes to DEI, right? And so I say that because I had mentioned to you, like, I've been in jobs where I've had, you know, senior leaders come to me with DEI things and basically ask me to lead a DEI initiative or run, you know, put together a DEI consulting team all off the side of my desk. And in early in my career, I would accept those things. And I'd say, yeah, sure. Okay. I'll do it. And I would do both. And I felt this obligation as like, well, if I don't do it, like I, who else is going to do it? Or maybe I'm the only black senior leader on the team. So I should probably do it. I've learned now that that is not the way to approach that, right? That these companies have money, they have time, that if they really want this to work, mm-hmm. they can back it up. So I, I encourage a lot of um, people that I mentor too, who are kind of, who faced a lot of those same requests over the last year, that like, don't just do something because somebody's telling you that, hey, you have lived experience in this thing, you should put together this company. It's okay to have boundaries and it's okay to say, hey, yes, I have lived experience as a black woman, but I don't think I have the right expertise to build out your DEI corporate plan, but I'm happy to sit on the committee to help pick a consultant who can, right? Like figure out where your boundaries are when it comes to DEI and not feel the need to shoulder the entire DEI project of your company simply because you are the only woman or the only person of color or the only indigenous person. Like that is not fair. And so I like to mentor people to to remind to do that. Um, And then secondly, I've been spending a lot of my spare time working with accelerators um, that are supporting, uh, particularly right now, women of color who are who are kind of either Black, Indigenous, or, or of, of color, right? And so right. Um, currently right now I'm working with the CFC. They have a great incubator called Media Lab where they work specifically with uh, women of color and, and various different women who are starting up various diff- different businesses. Um, and then also working with Accelerate Her Future, which exclusively works with uh, BIPOC women who are also kind of either coming out of school or starting businesses or kind of various different stages of their career. Um, And I found like, to me, that's probably the most 
fulfilling way for me to help because I'm at a point now where I'm done trying to help policies. I'm done trying to create committees. I want to work on the pipeline. I want to work on the people who are going to be like the next leaders and start to to push diversity from that front um, because I put a lot of time and effort into that kind of first category. I feel good doing that. I feel good mm -hmm. for the efforts I put into companies. I want to work now with the people who are going to be the leaders and the women and the people of color and indigenous people who are going to really make sure that diversity actually happens because they have the killer skills, they have killer business ideas, and they're really going to push things forward. That's awesome. Oh, you're really out here doing it, huh? You're really in these streets. <laughs> she's not Trying. just talking. She's not just talking about it, guys. Trying, a lot of, yeah. I feel I feel like, you know, my whole thoughts were like, you know, when we when we talk about the VP of uh, diversity and inclusive inclusivity, I felt for the for for a very large part of it, a lot of those positions are token positions. Uh, and I I don't mean that to undermine the person in the position. I mean it like they have real no power. Right. They don't yeah. really have a team. They don't really, to your point, they don't really have a budget. And so it's just like yeah. they're a placeholder. Right. So yeah. it's just to make the company look good. Um, but yeah, it, it's great to see that you're actually like on hitting it from both sides on the ground floor, working with people that are actually going to be implementing some of these changes. So that's always positive and great to hear, of course. Um, so moving on to the third question, Ari. So this is the last question. We're going okay. to bring it home here. Okay. Um, Okay, so to the young black woman or man who says, I want to be the next Irene Mukasa, what would your one piece of advice be to them? And then lastly, what is the most valuable lesson you have learned to date regarding your career? I mean, to anyone who says they want to be me, I think my initial uh my initial reaction is don't be me, be you, right? Because that's what mm -hmm. makes you val valuable, right? Like mm -hmm. it's not, at the end of the day, like you can learn the same skills of the people that you admire. You can gain the same knowledge of the people that you can admire. You can look at someone's career track and like, you know, get really great lessons, but it's you, your own life and your own career track is your own track. So you can't really um, emulate somebody else's path. And, and to be quite honest, I don't want someone to go through the same path that I did in my career because part of what I need to do as a person who has been fortunate enough to grow a pretty decent career is make it much easier for other people who are coming mm -hmm. up in that path to, to get to where I need to be. And if they have to get through the same struggles, then I have failed. So I don't think that there's anything I'm doing that someone needs to say, like, I want to be that person. But I think there's lessons, there's opportunities to have conversations and learn that can help inform somebody else um, because really truly our, our individuality is the most valuable piece of what we have in a business because everything else from our skills from our knowledge all of those things can be learned all of those things can be taken away and gained as quickly but who you are in the essence of your persona and the type of person you are that's the real kind of you know real real value add that you bring to any sort of business and then in terms of kind of advice. Um, so I had someone, someone once tell me like, and I'm sure you've maybe heard this people who will say like, um, work smart, not hard. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I, I believe in that, but I think I've also realized that it's work strategically, not hard. Right. Because mm -hmm. working smart is one thing, but working strategically means that you are thinking about your moves, three bands, like three moves in advance. You're thinking about the people you need to connect with. You're thinking about the places that you need to go. You're thinking about the projects that you need to get yourself on. So to me, thinking smart is really about in the moment. It's like, I'm being, I'm trying to get my work done smartly now, right. but real people who, 
I think, you know, I've learned from who've excelled really well, they have, they have worked strategically. They figured out that like, if you work strategically and you make the right connections and you get on the right projects and you figure out the right path, that actually accelerates your career way quicker than working smart. So I, I try, that's kind of my piece of advice to people. I'll say, Hey, work smart is cool, but think about being strategic and working strategic because that is actually where you, where you get advancements and especially in corporate culture. If you're, if you're smart, you're great, but if you're strategic, you're an asset. Wow. There you go. That's, that's gems right there. <laughs> I, think, I think you just took it home right there. There's, there's one other thing that uh, I remember you brought up, but I, I'd really like for you to kind of mention this story here yeah. where you said um, you found it in your career. I don't know if it's happened a lot, maybe it was once or twice, but you found that, you know, particularly people of color tend yep. to ask for less dollars and cents. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Yeah, experience? yeah. Um, so with regards to, I guess, the incident you're, refer you're referring to. So yeah. I, um, I had an opportunity where I was hiring somebody to my team and I'd done a number of interviews and I knew that I really wanted to hire uh, this particular candidate who was a woman of color. Mm -hmm. And so she, I asked her, you know, the general question of, you know, tell me, uh, tell me your salary expectation. And she told me her expectation. And in, in, when I looked at her salary expectation um, compared to some of the other candidates who were uh, non people of color, she was about 10 to almost like 12K less than them, right? She'd really right. undervalued herself, but her skills and her track line and what she had done in her career was very much on par and in some cases even higher. And I realized that I had like a moment there where it's like, I could be a manager. I could be like my, my, my director mindset. And I could say, oh, great. I can get this girl for a deal. And she saves my, my team's budget because she doesn't cost high. Mm -hmm. Or I could be an ally and I could actually just kind of turn to the side and tell her to ask more. So I basically leaned to the side and I said to her and I leaned in, I said, ask me for more. And I just said it at that. And she looked at me and I said, yes, ask me for more. And she upped her her price. And I think partly why I did that is because I know that A, I, for early in my career, I definitely undervalued myself a lot. I think mm -hmm. I had the mentality of, you know, once again, it's the whole, if I work hard, then they'll see that I'm worth getting a higher raise. So I'll come in a little under, you know, I'll be competitive. Now I totally have the opposite mindset. Now I very much, I'm like, pay me what I'm worth. And if you can't, then you're not, it's not the right fit. Um, but I also realized in that moment, like, that all like if you're in a situation where you can help somebody understand their value, because let's be honest, like salary transparency is not a big thing in Canada or even particularly in the US. People don't mm. really know what they're make, what they're making. And so I, I do tend to see um, people of color, particularly women of color, undervaluing themselves, likely because they're just not aware of in the market where they could actually be compared to some of their competitors. And so I, I just saw that was a great opportunity for this person to be able to, um, you know, get, get their salary at a higher point and really where you need to be. Because sometimes where you start your salary is like dictates how your salary oh, yeah. goes from the rest 100%. of the year. hundred percent. I've, right? made, I've made that so. mistake before. That's, <laughs> I've made that hundred percent. Yeah. All right. Irene, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, you dropped a ton of gems and nuggets. Like I expect, I didn't expect anything <laughs> less from you. Um, so where can people find you, follow you on social? Yeah. Where do you exist in that? Yeah. Line? 
So, um, so if anyone wants to kind of from a work perspective, see what I'm about, they can go to my website, which is just my name, Irene Mukasa, M-U-K-A-S-A dot com. Um, if you're interested in my kind of marketing, branding, comms commentary, check me out on LinkedIn, add me, always happy to hear new people. And if you just want to see some great cocktails, great pictures and random life commentary, you can hit me up on Instagram at mukasaland.com. And I do have Twitter, mukasaland.com as well, but I'll be honest, I only like troll it for news. So, you know, if you want me to, if you want to see the occasional retweet from me, that's probably the platform to see. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Irene, thank you again for, for blessing us. And guys, as you know, I always like to end with this. If you want to impress people, talk about what you have, what you gained, your wins. But if you really want to have an impact on people's lives, talk about your failures, your losses. That's how you really impact people. So, uh, guys, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Three Questions by Corey Kareem. Peace and love. We're out.